This is Church Alive's Teaching of the Week by Pastor Gene Amoson. For additional teachings or information about the church, go to churchalive.net. My teaching today is called A Generational Impact. A Generational Impact. And we're going to talk today about someone in the Word who probably never won the Mother of the Year Award, but we're going to see the plans that God had for her life. I want to ask you a question today. Is there anybody in here that's happy about the fact that God can still use you, even though maybe your past wasn't too impressive? Anybody feel that way? Amen. So if you will, go to Joshua 2 today. And, and once again, mothers, are so good to have you here. Uh, I'm going to ask you another question today. Is this, um, husbands, how many of y'all can admit that there are things your wives do and you are oblivious to them sometimes getting done? Here's a good example. It's Christmas time, and somebody in your family says, hey, Billy Bob, thanks for the gift, and you give them this one. All right, man, because you had no idea what your wife bought for him. Anybody ever been guilty of that? Every year, right here, every year. But it goes both ways at times. I mean, there's times where I do stuff that Regina doesn't know about, right? Uh, dads, if you see something around the house that needs to be done, you just do it. You might not inform your, your wife about it. So that always happens. But in the story that we're going to look at today in Joshua 2, there was a situation going on, and Joshua was completely oblivious as to what was going on. But a lot of times we have plans, God steps into our plans, and maybe the result we were looking for changes. But whenever God steps into your plans, how many of you know it's always going to turn out better? As a result, it's going to bless you or either it's going to bless somebody else whenever he steps into your plans. And so today we're going to look at a situation that's kind of similar to that. And to set up this story for you, uh, Israel's trying to get into the promised land, the land of promise that God had, had given them. Moses had recently passed away. And so Joshua is now leading this massive group of people. And so we're going to kind of walk through this almost verse by verse today. So verse 1 of Joshua 2 it says, now Joshua sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, it's interesting here that he sent two spies to a land that had been promised to him. You would think, well, if it was promised to him, why are they spying out anything? As a matter of fact, uh, between Jericho and where they were was the Jordan River, uh, that time of year, the Jordan River would have been flooding. So honestly, it would have been fairly dangerous for those two guys to try to cross the Jordan. So I'm thinking to myself, why is it that the Lord would have said, Joshua, send spies whenever the land was promised and it could be dangerous? Well, there's a reason why, because God always has a reason. Amen? He's always got a reason. And whenever we're sensitive to his voice, uh, we're always going to see that it works out for our good. I want you to understand, 40 years earlier, Joshua had been a spy himself. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb and 10 other guys were sent out to spy the land? And whenever the 12 came back, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this, we can take this land. But then there were 10 guys that said, there's no way we can take it. They're like giants, we're going to get crushed, we're going to get just completely eaten alive. And so if you notice Joshua, whenever the Lord told him, send out some spies, he sent two. And I dare say Joshua in his mind was thinking, I'm not going to stay another day out in this wilderness than I have to, and I'm going to send two men to faith. Amen? How many of you know you need to be surrounded by people full of faith? Yes. Come on now. Yes. You need people around you that are going to build you up. Yes. 
and not a bunch of frumpy people that are just always just, just so negative in what they say, right? And so Joshua sends out, I believe, what were two men of faith. And again, he didn't want to stay out there any longer than he had to. So the Lord said, send spies. He sent a couple. And this is what happens. This is the the second half of verse uh, one in Joshua two. He says, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there for the night. Of all the places they could have stayed, they go to the house of a prostitute and that's where they stayed. But what you need to understand today, and this is what we're going to kind of get into, is that the plan that God had was one that Joshua didn't even know about. What he didn't realize was is he was sending out spies, and it was setting up an amazing example of the redemptive heart of God in this story. It's a beautiful story. And this chapter really isn't about Joshua or these two spies or the intel that they brought back to Joshua. Uh, this chapter is really about a Canaanite prostitute who had a really messed up past who God saw and wanted to go after and have her saved. That's what this chapter is really about. It shows how much God really loved her and how much he wanted to show mercy and how much he wanted to show compassion. And today, if you're here and you feel like God has his crosshairs on you, ready to take you out, I want you to know God wants to show you his mercy and his compassion. And he loves you the same way that he loved this woman right here. Amen. The same way. So the spies, they go, they're trying to lay low because they are supposed to be spying That was their mission. Verse 2 says, But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. By the way, here's just a quick lesson, gentlemen. People watch who go in and out of a prostitute's home. I just thought I would share that with you today. A lesson can be learned here in the book of Joshua. Amen? So just remember that. But I want you to think about something real quick. Rahab, once again, who, who had a past. Rahab, who had not been the most perfect person in the eyes of God. Rahab had a decision she had to make. Because the king sent word to her and said, let me have those guys who came to spy off the land. And whenever you look in the word, you're going to see that she didn't exactly do the honest thing. She had to figure out what she was going to do. She had a moral dilemma, and she ultimately tells the king's men, listen, these guys uh, are no longer here. They're out of here. They already left. I sent them away. And the word tells us to obey the laws and to honor those above us. We know that, right? The word says that. We need to honor those above us. Listen, you need to pray for the officials in your town, in your state, and in your country, whether you did or did not vote for them. Come on now. You need to. Because they need to hear from God. If they don't know the Lord, they need to have an encounter with the Lord and have a heart change. Come on now. It can happen. And have a heart change. Never give up on praying for somebody. Never give up on praying for somebody. But there are times whenever we've got to honor God versus the law of the land. Amen? There's times where we've got to do that. I mean, in Daniel, there's three Hebrews, uh, Hebrew boys who refused to bow down whenever they were commanded by the king, bow down. And they said, we ain't going to do it. In Acts 5, you've got the early apostles, and they're told, stop preaching. 
And they said, there's no way we can stop. And guess what? They got landed in jail again. There's times whenever we're told to do things that don't line up with the word of God. And guess what? We got to stick with what the word of God says, right? We've got to do it. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.17, fear God and honor the king. So we obey earthly government cheerfully whenever. Everybody say whenever. Whenever it's consistent with fearing God. Whenever it's consistent with fearing God. Whenever it's not, though, we've got to make a choice. And if you've never been put in that place, get ready because the time will be coming in your life where you've got to decide. I'm just going to pause right here for a second and tell you that we had to make a decision as a church whenever COVID hit two years ago as to what we were going to do. Fauci and a lot of other folks were saying, y'all don't need to meet. But I also know what the Holy Spirit said to Gino. And we continued to meet. Unfortunately, and I'm not throwing down, please hear my heart. A lot of churches said, well, we're told we don't need to meet. A lot of churches did not make it through the pandemic as a result. I don't really feel like that was what the Lord had for them, right? Every pastor's got to hear what the Holy Spirit says to them. I just had to go with what I was told, right? But we have to listen to what the the Lord says. We've got to look at what the Word of God says, and then we've got to look at the two. We've got to make a decision. Our government is constantly making laws that violate Scripture. Do you all realize that? And there are some things as a pastor I just can't do. Just because something is legal in our country, whether it relates to lifestyle or other things, doesn't necessarily make it moral. And so I've got to go by what the Word of God says whenever it comes to making decisions, right? So anyway, but will we obey the laws of God over the laws of man? Will we do the right things? And it might sound like I'm encouraging you to like revolt, and I promise you that's not it, but... This woman, Rahab, was in a tight spot. And she had to make a decision, and she made a decision to protect those men that Joshua had sent. And you know, it might be, like I said, odd to, to say, hey, you should do this, but, but Scripture's always useful for teaching and training, it tells us, right? Second Timothy tells us that in uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 16. But let's go to verse 4 real quick of Joshua 2. It says, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier. But I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk. As the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch them. That way, Rahab. Uh, verse 6. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. Verse 7. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So why did she lie? Let's go to verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she said. (laughs) We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what the Lord did at Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Now, once again, let's remember, Joshua is back at camp, sent two spies, has no idea what's going on. He's waiting for them to come back with a report, right? So he's still kind of clueless. But God's plan, once again, was bigger. And if we think about it, Whatever the spies brought back to Joshua, it it didn't even matter because it was all about Rahab at this point. 
It was all about a woman who ultimately was a prostitute and she had heard all about what God has done and she had believed. She had, somebody say believed. She had believed and she was in a city that was about to be destroyed, but her faith in God actually put some of the Israelites' faith to shame. God saw her faith and God said, you know what, I'm going after her. He sent men to go get her ultimately. And this, this chapter is all about the salvation of Rahab. It's about the salvation of her relatives as well and for the generations to come as well. You know, Second Peter 3, 9 and then First Peter 2, 4 tells us that God's desire is that all know him. That all know him. He wants everyone on the planet to come to know him as Savior. And it, once again, it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your present. He's got his eyes on you, and he wants you to know him. And too many times the enemy gets in our head, and the enemy tells us, listen, you're, you're too far gone. The Lord, the Lord wouldn't take his time with you. But that's not the truth whatsoever. Uh, in the book of Matthew 18, 12, it talks about the fact that if there's a man that has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, what does it say he does? What's he going to do? He's going to leave the 99. He's going to leave the 99, and he's going to go search for the one. Here the 99 was Israel, and Rahab was the one. And the Lord went after her. He sent spies after her. As a matter of fact, in the book of Joshua, the Lord commanded Joshua. He said, kill everyone. As you're occupying the land, take them all out. And there was a reason for that. But I want you to think about this. He saw the faith of a woman who believed, and he said, except for her. And so he sent two men to save her because he saw that she believed. Amen? Verse 12 in Joshua 2. Now swear to me, this is her talking to the men. This is after she said, we've all been scared of you. We've seen the Lord work on your behalf. Verse 12, now swear to me, by the Lord, that you will be kind to me and my family, since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. Once again, she knew the Lord was a true God. Amen? She had seen what he had done. She indeed believed the Lord. And so she asked, listen, let me be saved. Truly, she wanted her family to be saved. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. There was a relationship that was starting to happen between her and the Lord. So whenever we fast forward to chapter 6, indeed Jericho does fall. Whenever you look at Joshua 6, verse 22, it says, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Okay, so Joshua's finally filled in on what was happening. Uh, so Joshua says, listen, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all of her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. I want you to think about that last line just for a minute and just kind of store that to memory just for a minute. Now, I've got a few points that we're going to get to in just a second. 
but just something, an initial thought. Last week we talked about the fact that we all need to have three things and we'll see God move. We talked about knowledge, we talked about faith, and we talked about action. And I wanted to tie that into today's teaching as well. I want you to understand that Rahab had knowledge of what God had done. She had heard about what God had done. She realized that he was the one true God. The next thing she did was that she had faith in him. The third thing she did was is her faith led to what? Action. And because of the knowledge, because of the faith, because of the action, God moved on her behalf. Come on now. I'll tell you something. Whenever you've got these three things, you'll see God move on your behalf. God responded. She didn't just believe, but she did something. In choosing between God and country, she chose God. Amen? I mean, if you think about it, she could have turned the spies over, maybe got some kind of reward or something like that. But no, she believed in the one true God, and she knew that's what she was supposed to do. You know, faith that doesn't lead us to act really isn't faith at all. I want you to think about that just for a second. Some people, there's this argument about faith versus works. But, you know, it's not as if we have to just choose one. We actually demonstrate our faith by our actions. And if we go to James 2, i got a bunch of scripture right here. I hope you're okay with that. And in verse 14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or, or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions whenever he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. That's strong right there. And so it happened, just as Scripture says, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Now, real quick. Right there, verse 23, the father of faith was just mentioned, right? And then here we go right here, verse 25, Rahab the prostitute. James giving her props right after the father of faith. How awesome is that? Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. That's good scripture, amen. 
So, so James is laying out what it means to have faith and works partnered together to cause action. That's what he was doing there. And these are two great examples. And once again, you've got Abraham. I mean, it's Abraham for Pete's sakes. It then follows it right up with the faith and the action from Rahab. Somebody who was not really talked about before this story. But James felt the need to pull it out. Amen? Very interesting there. So, so Rahab hid the spies, as we know. She lied, and she helped them escape through a window. And, and back in chapter 2, the spies had promised to save her. And let's look at that just for a minute. So we're going to hop back to chapter 2, verse 17. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the streets and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Now, I want you to understand that scarlet rope that was hanging from the window is actually a symbol of salvation. Uh, for the spies, that's the way they escaped, but also for Rahab and her family as well. Of course, it represented the blood of Jesus, right? That saves us all, the blood of Jesus. And it hung from the window in the same way that the blood was on the doorpost from the Passover lamb uh, just before the Israelites escaped Egypt. But it represents salvation. And only God, y'all, only our amazing God could have used Rahab in such a way. Because actually what Rahab, I don't know if you know this, whenever you look in the word, Rahab is actually connected to Jesus in his lineage. Listen to me now. This story isn't just about a woman who was messed up, who got saved. God had bigger plans for her. You'll hear us talk about the fact that God wants to use you. If there was ever anybody who probably felt unqualified to be used, it was probably this woman right here. But I want you to look in Matthew 1. Whenever you go through Matthew 1, you know, there's all the kind of the bagots and the family uh, line, if you will, before you get to Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 5 and 6 says, Salmon begot Boaz by who? Rahab. Come on now. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king, the one who was after God's own heart. And in case you didn't know, Jesus came from the same line. His father, Joseph, came from the same line as David. But whenever you look at the family tree of Jesus and you just go on up a bunch of generations, there you're going to see this woman right there. How amazing is that? That God used her to ultimately be part of the family tree of Jesus. Amen? Because of her faith in God, her family's story changed. Because of her faith in God, there was a generational impact on her family that ultimately landed her in Matthew 1, showing that she was connected to the Savior. 
She wasn't just known as, as Rahab the prostitute who, who came to know the Lord. She was known as the great-great-grandmother of King David. How awesome is that? That was her great-grandson, great-great-grandson right there. The greatest king ever in Israel. That was his great-great-grandmother. And once again, Jesus was part of that lineage. If you look in verse 16 of Matthew 1, you'll actually see where it goes all the way down to Joseph. But her, the future generations of her family were changed because of what she did. Now, sometimes whenever you look in the Old Testament, has anybody ever read the Old Testament? And you're like, whoa, this is some weird stuff. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> i got to be honest. There's times where I read it, I'm like, holy cow. Um, but God's always got a reason. We, we got to understand that, you know, while we're spies sent to go whenever uh, the intel that they were bringing back wasn't even going to be used. You may ask that question. Um, why did these two guys stay in a prostitute's home if we're supposed to flee the appearance of evil? Right? Um, why did she lie rather than be honest? Uh, why did God choose somebody so messed up to be part of the family tree of Jesus? 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 says this, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considered important. So as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Amen? Can ever boast in the presence of God. We don't always understand why. Joshua didn't know why, but he was just walking in faith. He was just doing what the Lord told him to do. And God used that situation for great things. Used it for great things. So three things I want you to take away today. Three really, really fast, just back-to-back-to-back points. First of all, God can use anyone. And everybody in here needs to just say praise God on that one. Amen. He can use anyone. If he can use her, he can use you. That's good. He's no respecter of persons. The second thing is this, is Rahab's faith is what saved her. Her faith is what saved her. Third thing is this. Rahab honored God and his people, and God honored her. She honored God. She honored his people, and God, as a result, honored her. He honored her. You know, just real quick, talking about great faith, in Hebrews 11, and it's verse 31, there's a lot of examples of great faith in that chapter. And once again, Rahab gets pulled out of it. So it's her faith that saved her. She honored God and his people, and God honored her. And as a result, her family was spared. They were saved, and they were part of the lineage of Jesus. How amazing is that? Amen. She made a generational impact because of her belief in the Lord and because of her decision to do what was right at that time. And I want to end by saying this. God's heart, once again, as I remind you, is that all come to know him. That all come to know him. Will you stand with me this morning? Did you get anything out of that today? Anybody? Amen. Praise God. Once again, I just want to say it, it doesn't matter what you've been through, what you've done, or currently what you're doing, even present. The Lord still loves you. 
His desire is for you to know Him. And, and He's willing to leave the 99 and to go after you. And He's got His eyes on you and He wants to have a relationship with you. Now, I will say this. Let me just get real. There's times where people are in the middle of stuff and they don't need to. God loves you. God loves you too much for you to stay in that stuff that you're in. Amen? But the first step is you come to know Him. You come to know Him. That's the first thing He wants you to do. But He wants you to... He wants to use you as well. He doesn't want you just to know Him and then to just sit. He wants to use you. And I want to just say to you, mothers here in the house today, stick with God. Amen? I know it's tough. I, it's got to be. I know there's times where Regina is um, fried from being a mom. And guys, can we just go ahead and admit that the moms are kind of the glue that keep things going. Amen? Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of stress on them. And guys, I know we got stress at work and everything else. We do. But um, ladies, I know it's tough. But I want you to know this. As you're sowing into your children... As you're teaching them to do right, and men, by the way, you're teaching them to do right too as the priest of the home, amen? But as you do that, you're affecting generations to come. Understand, your kids are watching you. I don't know about you, but the biggest desire I have in my life is for my kids to know the Father. I don't care about my, my you know, bank balance. I don't care about what I'm driving. I don't care if I ever grow hair again. Don't care. <laughs> I don't care about any of that. I want my kids to know God and to serve God. The fact of losing a child, knowing that they were lost, I can't imagine. Can't imagine. But stick with God. Keep believing. Keep sowing in their life. And as a result, you're going to see generational change. Amen? So God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank, thank you, Father, for just this amazing example of what you did in Rahab's life. Lord, we thank you that you can use us. Father, we thank you that your eyes are on us. And Lord, that you want to know us. And God, we just give you all the praise and glory. Thank you again for listening to Church Alive's Teaching of the Week with Pastor Gene Amoson. We invite you to join us for our Sunday morning worship service every Sunday at 10 o'clock or learn more at churchalive.net.